Welcome back to another episode of Accordion Brat. My name is Pete Contino. This is my father's story continued. This is episode five. Uh, This is where he's getting into the courtroom scene and all the stuff surrounding that draft dodging shit. So that's funny, man, because I I want to I introduce these episodes and I I don't even go back and listen because I'm I'm so uncomfortable. If I do, I won't even put the episode up. I mean, because if I hear my voice and I'm hearing mistakes and, and, and you know, gulping or breathing weird. But um, I was talking to my friend, Bob, guitarist. I'm going to get him on an episode here coming up. Great friend of mine. And uh, we were talking about that. And, you know, kind of approaching it like, like with music. And I know my father would have said this. If I told him I was doing this and I'm, I'm you know... Should I write show notes? Should I put, you know, like a, write it out? Like what I'm going to say? I could hear my father saying this. He would say, why? Why? Just talk. If, if you don't feel like saying anything, don't say anything. Just play the, play the episode. Or if you do, say whatever, like I'm doing now, blah, blah, blah. But that's it, though. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to introduce the episode with that. But, yeah, here we go. Episode 5 of the Dick Contino story. This is my father. Um, yeah, it's getting heavy. I said that, I think I say that every episode, but that's nah, true. All right, I will see you on the other side of this. I think if Murphy had a gun at that time, he would have leveled it and blown my fucking head off, okay? To make a long story short, I wasn't even allowed to leave the northern jurisdiction of California to go home to prepare my case. What ten people did I kill? Uh, You know. No clothes. You can go home and get my clothes. Even have a change of clothes. No. No. Not even at home and and have a change of clothes. You know, like I say, they recommended James T. Davis. Now we're going to prepare the case, and we're going to go to trial. We're going to plead not guilty. Is somebody going to understand? I don't know. I don't know. I got to meet the prosecuting United States attorney who was going to be prosecuting me. His name was uh, Joe Karish. Joe Karish, K-A-R-E-S-H. Turned out to be a hell of a guy. I didn't think of him as an enemy, but the day I met him, I had that assurance that this guy wanted to help me. He, you know, it felt like he understood. Somehow he understood. So when he heard all the case, you know, he saw the indictment and things, and and there was publicity out the ass. I mean, it was like war declared in San Francisco, at least. The Chronicle Law. He got with me and, and Mr. Davis, and he said, he said, listen, son, the court, he said, I understand you. 
I understand you. He says, but the court, when I tried to explain my phobias and anxieties, whether they understood or not, he made the point that the court does not recognize shades, uh, shades of gray. They only recognize sanity versus insanity. At least that's what he told me. He says, you are guilty of having committed this crime. He says, so, he says, let me advise you. Change your plea to guilty, he says, and we'll do what we call a plea bargain where I'll have no objection to the court sending you directly into the army. No penalty, no imprisonment. Well, in, in, with the thought of incarceration, jail, I thought of it as prison, bars. That fear was far greater than an army, whatever. And you know what? A little anecdote here. A little anecdote here, you know, when, when I, before I went to Fort Ord, the first time, they told me, listen to this, I would never have to leave the state of California, I, would, I never had to leave uh, Monterey, I'd probably be there the whole time, serve my whole time there, in entertainment, entertain the troops as they come in, put on shows, that didn't work. That offer didn't work. The phobia, no, I'm away from my family. I can't do it. It's a fear. Woo! Anyway, getting back to the story with Karish and things. And, well, I agree to this so-called situation. Think they're going to send me right in. And, and after all, I guess one fear is greater than the other. And, so it seemed to work. It wasn't like I was scheming. It wasn't like I thought, well, they won't buy that. I'll try this. No, no, fucking no. That's the way it's all based on truth. So anyway, courtroom packed. My attorney says, Your Honor, now I'm in front of a attorney by the name of, I was assigned to, a Judge Roach, R-O-C-H-E. I thought, I'm glad I got away from Murphy. Murphy wanted to send me to the fucking chair. Roach was a little better. He tried to hang me, motherfucker. So anyway... Honor, my whatever client, whatever, blah, blah, my whatever you call me, would like to change his plea. What? Woo! Courtroom went crazy, man. Press was there. All the, as they call it, the paparazzi. <laughs> Cameras flashing and shit. I had to stand in front of the judge, man. Let me tell you something. He looked big and high and tall and way up there and scary. He says, do you, understand, do you want to change your plea? And I, had to, I choked saying, yes, Your Honor. That's how it came out. He says, do you realize the possible consequences? Well, I was assured. So I said, yes, Your Honor. He says, how do you plead? Now here, I had to plead guilty to the crime I did not commit. Yes, I did. I did. According to law, 
I committed a crime. I wasn't guilty that way. I had to say guilty. My attorney on one side of me, prosecuting attorney on the other. The judge said, when he said, well, I see no reason for this boy, or this man, or whatever, to go directly, to go into the service, and serve his country honorably. And I, let, I almost let out a yell like, of happiness. And my attorney grabbed my arm and he says, wait, that's all right. You know, it was like, the show, not to show too much, until I, what, I just... He says, however, well, let me tell you, that word, however, that ran around in my brain for months after that. He said, I do believe he should be given some penalty, something like this, you know, some penalty for having committed this crime, this violation, whatever he called it. I said, oh, my God. And that's when Joe Karish says, but, Your Honor, the United States has no objection to this boy going directly into the service. He says, I, I think he should go into the service, but I do feel he has to pay some pro No, Your Honor, you don't understand. He says, we, we, we had an understanding. Order, order. He's, he's hammering down the fucking prosecuting attorney. Now he looks at me and he says, are you ready for sentencing? How'd you like that? How'd you like the judge to look at I just say a fucking word. What's he going to do? What's going to happen? Am I going to go insane? When I hear this, the sentence, is it going to be, what, one year, two years, five years? He says, I, whatever, command or whatever, you turned over to the United States attorney for a period of six months and $10,000 fine. Bam, gavel. Well, for some reason, I didn't fall to the ground like I did in front of that asshole Duncan. It was my mother who let out a scream. My dad jumped up. I found myself turning around and saying, I'm okay, I'm okay. For that moment, I seemed to be okay. I felt moments of anxiety, but almost one thing prevailed. How do I survive? How do I live? How do I... Took me to this huge cell where they fingerprinted me, photographed me. Somewhere in there, I'm over, I've overlooked. Oh, before he gave me the sentence, that's right. Before he gave me the sentence, he uh, ordered me to go to county jail uh, pending a probation report. That's right. It didn't all come down with the sentencing at that moment. Yeah. After I pled guilty, I was ordered over to go to uh, the uh, county jail pending probation report. Well, I, mean, I think I got one ticket. You know, I figured, could this be? Uh, maybe it's a good sign. This boy, he said six months and $10,000 fine before he was, uh, the carriage was hammered down. That was it. So now I'm in the county jail. So I don't know how long it was. Maybe a few days, but while well, they had this Putting together a 
probation report. But I noted that there were a lot of conscientious objectors there. It seemed like constant, there was a constant flow of people with authority coming in there. And I could hear them talking to these guys, these boys, saying, you know, you better change your mind. They were like, you know, conscientious objectors. You could get up to five years. And you'd be amazed at the people who said, no. I, my religion is such, I, you know, I can't kill or this or that. Giving them the opportunity to change their mind and go directly into the service. No jail time. But not one came around to ask me if I was prepared to go directly into the service. And man, that began to scare me. Because I thought, why aren't they asking me? Why didn't somebody come around and saying, you know, are you really ready to go into the service? Because you could, that could be, it could happen, you know. And whatever, give me some encouragement. They never came around. My folks come to see me, justifiably, they'd be crying. I mean, they had me, whenever I go to visiting, you couldn't sit opposite the table. You had to be on the side of a very thick screen. You could barely see through. I guess because most of the people there were there for, you know, who knows, drugs and or things that could encompass uh, deadly weapons or what well, I don't know. They tried to encourage me. You know, hey, the, you know, the Mr. Karras promised you you'd go directly in. You'll be all right. You'll be all right. I still felt this discomfort. So I'm sure I had a clean report. That's when I went back to be in front of the judge. And he was supposed to say, you're going directly into the Army. That's the part of that, yeah, that's what happened. A little insert there. First place is set. So now I leave the courtroom. I'm scared, man. I'm really, really scared. I'm handcuffed, and they put me in the back of a van that's going to uh, San Bruno County Jail. Supposed to be a very tough county jail. I mean, I found out later, but I guess they were going to decide where I was going to do my six months. And I remember shortly after that, however, whenever I saw it, uh, oh, I guess because I, from the time I was, yeah, between the time I was sentenced and I had my plea, I changed it to guilty, the headlines, absolute headlines in the newspaper in San Francisco, very loudly said, Contino guilty. It didn't say he changed his plea on a plea bargain. Because ba 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 ba, Contino, guilty. Anyway, I'm at San Bruno, it was tough. Two weeks, but it was tough. I had never been in jail. The first night before I went to San Bruno, it's weird, you know. I was, they said I was, in, I was like downtown San Francisco in a cell by myself. There were other guys in other cells. The door closed, and I was there. The uncertainty about where I'm going, for how long, and what, and locked in, away from my family. 
I start screaming, I can't do it, I can't do it. And guy's yelling back, shut the fuck up. Well, I shut the fuck up and I thought, again, is that what, is that what I need with some of these things? Have somebody say, shut the fuck up? I never panicked after that. I just, not out of fear or threats, just, well, I, I somehow knew, well, I'm not going to get out of here. I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to live. I'm going to live. I'm going to fucking survive. That's when they transferred me to San, San Bruno. It seemed a little more flush. Shit. Not really. It was like individual cells. I didn't know where I was going to go, where they were sending me or what. They let me call my folks once a day. Individual cells. The bed made out of iron. Well, I'm not going to glorify that. I would make that such a big thing. Fuck, I was still living. I was alive. Just to note that they were, it was an iron bed. Like, you know, he went through the wall in the next cell. Give it two blankets, a pillow. There's an open toilet there. Something, you know, sink to wash your face. In. And, uh, The other guy would turn, you would wake you up. But all the uncertainty seemed to overshadow that momentary discomfort. It didn't bother me that much, just noteworthy as to what it's all about. That part didn't bother me. Not that much. The uncertainty. So one day my attorney, <laughs> my attorney, he says, I got good news. <laughs> They're going to fucking shoot you. <laughs> you know, he says, I got good news. You know, he says, They're going <laughs> to send you to McNeil Island. He says, uh, You know, McNeil Island? <laughs> What's that? Where's that? How's that? You'll be in minimum security, <laughs> which means you're like on a farm and you're not in a cell. You're not in the cell. You're, uh, you're like a barracks, like in the army. And you have your own, you know, bed there. They got, you know. So I, I was elated. <laughs> you know, it wasn't incarceration. So they flew me up to. Uh, with the United States Marshal. They flew me up to uh, Seattle. I always created the impression with everybody I was with that, you know, I wasn't a criminal. I wasn't going to endanger somebody's life. Evidently, they pick, they pick up on this because this guy never cuffed me, you know. Because, in fact, he asked me, he says, he asked me, he says, do I have to put handcuffs on you? And I said, no. He says, okay, I won't. He says, I trust you. I said, well, thanks, you know, so we're sitting on the plane like two friends driving, flying to Seattle. 
In fact, we get to the Seattle airport, we need to get in a car to be driven to uh, Steelacombe Harbor outside of Tacoma. I forget his name, but I said, you know, whoever, it says, Marshall so-and-so, I says, uh, can I go to the men's room? And he says, he says, yeah, I'll wait for you here. <laughs> I guess I created such a feeling of trust, you know, just, I'll wait for you here, which was outside the men's room. So I said, okay, and I walked in, you know, take a leak, whatever I had to do. All of a sudden, man, he comes running in. <laughs> he goes, wait a minute. He says, I can't let you out of my sight. It's against my rules. I says, all right. You know. So we drove to steal a cone. Wish me luck. Got on a little boat. Took over to McNeil Island, uh, Federal Penitentiary. trying to assure my folks I was all right because they knew the intensity of it all and yet what somebody couldn't make me understand or I couldn't find too much comfort in was how it worked, you know, how it worked. Uh, how one phobia, fear would seem to overshadow the other. I had no spiritual principles. I was uh, sort of a Catholic that way, you know, wanted to believe in the power of prayer as they know it. And seem to get the answers, but but like McNeil Island was, wait, it's not bad. I tried to assure them on the phone, it's not bad, Mom, Dad. I just have to think you're sure. You know, hey, you really fucked up your career, man. You making all this money, had all this potential, movie contract, RCA Victor contract. You have the world by the tail. You really fucked that up. I didn't think of that. I never thought of that. did. Now I know uh, they saw in me what they would do. That's how they were dealing with it. Humanity, man, piece of shit. Can't live in that. Gotta live above that. Then I kept telling my folks, yeah, I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine. You know, I'd call up. They allowed me to call up. Assistant warden there, he liked me a lot, you know. He, in fact, he told me at one point, he said, you know, you don't, you don't belong. He got on the phone with my mother. You know, Mrs. Contino, your son doesn't belong here. The assistant warden. I knew I had to survive. I was just eating, no matter what the food, a lot of potatoes, a lot of beans. I went with 205 pounds. Even grew a mustache, man. At first, you know, I just kind of did the time there. Then a guy named Jim Cassetti, he was doing time for transporting stolen goods and jewelry, whatever, cars and stuff across the line. That made it a federal offense, so he was there for that. He got told him, he told them that I, I, I knew about tractors, you know, and he needed an assistant, you know, <laughs> to uh, fix tractors. <laughs> You know, the whole fucking time, I go down there and sit by, it was cold, it was getting cold that time of year, we're talking August, uh, you know, August going into uh, September, October, November, and I finally, they let me out, it was four and a half months, I think it was December. So I sit by the fire, you know, they had a fire up there, 
and just talk, you know, while he's fixing tractors and stuff. Alan Smiley was there. He was the first lieutenant to my, Mickey Cohen, who was a famous gangster, you know, in the L.A. area there. Mickey Cohen, well, Alan was his right-hand man. We became good friends. He slept on the, back, uh, the, the bunk next to me. Older guy, gray hair, nice guy. It was almost like somebody was always, you know, there to talk to, a sense of protection that way. At one point, a uh, little anecdote. The guys who worked down the chicken coop, uh, they decided the food wasn't that good because they let us go out to walk in the yard at night or, you know, late afternoon. A little exercise. The side of the food was that good, so they would kill chickens and, and, you know, cut them up, and then they'd wrap them, wrap it all up, and they'd get it to us at the garage, and I couldn't fix tractors, so I would cook the chicken the best I could, and then rewrap them, the pieces, and uh, we'd get out to the yard and give them to the guys, you know, some chicken here, you know. <laughs> well, they, a lot of good here. They found out about it. <laughs> They found out about it, boy. They, they wanted to get the guys who were behind this. But nobody, nobody ratted. Nobody, I was amazed, you know. <laughs> Two guys were sent back to uh, medium or maximum custody because they wouldn't say who they were. Well, it was me and Jim Cassetti. At one point, the assistant warden, the guy like me, he called me in. Well, his office was where, if the other prisoners were walking by, he was in the glass office. They could see, you know, who was in the office and stuff like that. He says, Contino, he says, just sit here for a while. I don't want any of the guys to think we're being prejudiced. I know you had nothing to do with this. But just sit here for a while so they, it could look like I'm questioning you, too. Boy, he knew he, he, if he only knew he had one of the two guys he was looking for, and I knew the other guy, so. <laughs> I, I, I got, you know, another thing too while I was there, they changed the law. See, if you normally uh, do prison time for at least a year and a day after a third of your sentence, the way I understood it, you could be eligible for parole. Well, they changed that. And uh, no matter what your sentence, you were eligible for parole after serving a third of your time. So even then, I tried to write a piece of paper, you know, longhand to the parole board. I was sorry for my the, the, the crime I committed. I'd love to go directly into the service, blah, blah, blah. Parole denied. Oh, fuck on my head. Maybe at this time, you know, I'm a seasoned convict man, so to speak. I can handle another year, another month and a half. <laughs> or two months, whatever it was. In fact, when I might left there, you know, I so glad nobody going home. I was going to get home. I think it was right after Christmas, but they, had, they kept the tree up, you know. 1560 Virginia, my mom, dad, my sister, my brothers, you know. I've got that picture on top of the dresser there. 
No, I don't. That's when I was I came out of the army. That picture. But they're all waiting for me at home. But I mean, I was so paranoid about that chicken incident, chicken escapade, whatever you want to call it, that I thought, because I, you know, I, I got out after four and a half months because of quote good time. Well, I violated my good time as far as that goes. I could have done at least another month and a half, you know, or whatever, because of my. Or maybe uh, maybe they would have brought me back to a courtroom. I don't know. You know, I violated a crime while in prison. So, I mean, all even at the airport, you know, I go to get on my plane while I'm waiting. See this police car out there. I thought they're out to get me. They're after me. I hid in the men's room until just before flight time. So I knew I got on that plane with nobody walking up and say, "Are you digging? You know, you know, you get your ass back to McNeil Island." You know. draft you now. Well, I didn't know that, you know, even then, that, you know, I wasn't an ex-con. And I'm grateful that I wasn't. You know what I mean? Only an ex-con is like a man without a country that they couldn't draft. It was nevertheless, although the time was served in McNeil Island, I find out that it's, it's a misdemeanor. Well, I got my draft notice again. I'm sworn in, but they got photographers now and all that shit. And certainly by now, people aren't thinking, uh, you know, hey, that, what a marvelous thing. This guy has overcome his phobias and anxieties. And he's, you know, he now feels he's ready to serve his country. They're not thinking that. Thing and this piece of shit tried to beat beat it. This this guy making all this money and all this success. They quote he makes four thousand dollars a week, which was back then a lot of money. Which is some people a lot of money today, but back then that was top money. Fuck, I made more than that. But they quoted four. I was making eight nine thousand a week. Hey, about that. Anyway, you know, there I am, back at Fort Orr at this time, sworn in. They would no more want me to play an accordion and special services than they'd want to. Oh, man. This man's MOS, they call it, is Rifleman. Rifleman, you know what I mean? Now, all of a sudden, it's always a matter of survival. Survival. All righty. There you go. <sighs> survival. Man. Yeah, I... I uh, it's so cool to hear him talking like this. But what a... What a the story, I get anxiety listening to it, but then I'm also, you know, I, I'm, 
I'm crying in some parts. I'm laughing in other parts because you know he he just you know he says it like it is. I, it still knocks me out that that I gave him a tape recorder and he just talked this much. I didn't expect that from him. I mean, I kind of did, but not really. I mean, it just it you know that he that he laid it all out there, man. So okay, that's gonna do it for this episode. Uh, I will see you next week. All right. 